Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor. Welcome back, ladies, to another episode of Tits Up. As always, you have Megan and Sam. Um, We are going to be discussing chemo today. Um, Now, for a quick little point of reference, I did not go through chemo. Sam did. So I am going to be asking Sam tons of questions today, and hopefully that answers all of your questions. So, um, Sam, welcome. Thank you, Megan. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to share my chemo experience with you and all of our listeners. So I think it's really important for our audience to understand what chemo entails and how it affects our bodies. Um, You know, I remember wondering if I was going to have to go through chemo. Um, We didn't figure that out until after my double mastectomy and they did all the biopsies and stuff. So we just didn't know right away. And I think a lot of people, um, as soon as they're diagnosed, that's the very first thing that they think of is, you know, probably a surgery, but primarily chemo. So why don't you just kind of start us off and tell us, you know, first in a nutshell, and then we'll dive into it deeper, but tell us about your chemo experience. Yeah, absolutely, Megan. So first of all, chemotherapy is a common treatment for breast cancer, amongst other cancers that uses drugs to cart to target and kill cancer cells. As most of you probably know, it also kills healthy cells as well sometimes, depending on the chemotherapy or immunotherapy that you are receiving. Um, Chemotherapy can be administered um, intravenously or in pill form, depending on the treatment plan. Um, So for me, I had IV chemo my entire time. Now I'm on tamoxifen. We're primarily going to be talking about the IV chemo which is typically what people hear about. That's what makes your hair fall out, all of those types of things. So um, when I was first diagnosed, I was, you just know that you have cancer first, right? And then you get your subtype. So I was still very hopeful that I didn't have to do chemotherapy. I was like, come on, you know, a little lumpectomy surgery and I'm out of here, you know, no chemo, maybe a chemo pill, whatever. Um, but I was very optimistic that I didn't have to do chemo. As soon as I saw triple positive and throughout all the research I read, I knew that was instantly not the case. So when I went into my oncologist's office, I knew going into it I had chemotherapy or was going to need chemotherapy. So when she told me it wasn't as big of a shock to me, um, but it's it's still a really big shock that nobody prepares you for, you know, when they say, oh, yeah, you have to do this many rounds every so amount of 
weeks with this many drugs and your hair is going to fall out and you're going to be vomiting, you're going to have diarrhea, um, your face could break out, you could have neuropathy, um, bone pain, and then, you know, we'll give you this shot to, you know, increase whatever, whatever white blood cells, right? Um, So it, it all really caught up to me pretty quickly. But initially, I was I kind of had my brave face on, went in there, knew I had to get chemo, told me I needed chemo, scheduled my port surgery, which we, you know, talked about before, Mm -hmm. Um, did my chemo counseling session, which is where my nurse, my oncologist nurse kind of sits you down in a room and they call it like chemo education or chemo counseling, something like that. And that's where they give you these printouts from like chemocare.com. <laughs> and and then uh, pamphlets always right. with the helpful pamphlets, right? So they'll give you one per drug that you're gonna get in your treatment regimen, and each one of those drugs, just like any drug or pill you take, has its own set of side effects. Um, could be, you know, heart issues, neuropathy, diarrhea, there's more common ones like diarrhea and vomiting that will occur in say three out of four drugs, right? So you're more likely to get those just because it's a side effect of a lot of the drugs you're on. But there's some that are not as common, um, which you may or may not get. Something that's not as common is getting a face rash or like chemo acne, which I did get. And that was really, really hard for me because I had acne as a teenager, so <laughs> yeah, right. When I when I got that back as an adult, I called in sick from work. It was immediate, and I was like, "I am okay with <laughs> shitting myself, but the chemo, <laughs> the chemo acne is where I draw the line." Okay, like this is too much, right? Did you because get it everybody... just on your face, or did you get it in um, other places? Yeah, it was mostly on my face, luckily for me. Um, But there are people who get it all over their body, different types of rashes. Um, But I kind of thought there was no way out of the vomiting and diarrhea, right? But as far as the acne went, I know you could recommend me to a dermatologist, right? We could try something else, topicals, whatever, because... Like I said, when <laughs> your priorities kind of change when you have cancer in your 20s, but that acne just really threw me for a loop. And I really, the thought of my face scarring from that, which which it did, um, just melted me. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine anything else. I was like, that my hair falling out's a given. I can't do anything about that. My nail strength, you know, how I feel, that's just all kind of, up to par, right? Or not up to par, but um, up for grabs. But in terms of my face, that's one thing I really tried to, you know, take care of and preserve. So I was feeling really defeated when when that popped up. But yeah, what I <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Um, you mentioned neuropathy, and for those that don't know, that is nerve pain. Um, and you know, I've I've had neuropathy like in my chest where they severed all of the nerves doing the mastectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, But tell me, tell me about the neuropathy. Like, where does it present? Like, is it in hands, feet, other parts of your body? 
So typically, um, I've experienced it and luckily not too much, but when I have, it's been in, uh, my fingertips and my toes. Um, and it kind of feels like your toes are f- asleep, but also like that pins and needle feeling mm-hmm. as well. Um, but like I said, I've been fortunate. I haven't had it too much and, I know Megan gave me a little shout out in the last episode. So everybody knows I finished chemo. So I'm hoping that that, um, you know, will kind of just continue to dissipate because I don't think I've felt it since I've had treatment, which is awesome. Um, And what most people hope to, but at the same time, neuropathy is one of those things that is absolutely can and will be long lasting if you don't take it seriously. Um, So that was my experience kind of with, with neuropathy. Um, what's what I go ahead, Megan. Sorry. When, when does your hair start falling out? Yeah. Is it like a right away Um, thing? I know that that's probably what most people are going to think of in addition to like diarrhea and puking. Yeah. So obviously that was a side effect of all my chemo. So I knew that was coming, but I knew that that would be really emotional for me because, uh, I wouldn't say hair was a big part of my identity, but it was a big part of where my confidence came from in the physical way that I looked, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know, I was that person that would like put my hair over my face, right. You know, or or something like that. Your hair can can make your whole face look a certain way, you know, like I have a very round face, so I get my hair cut in a specific way so that it looks a little more angular, you know, like, people do their hair in a specific way in order to make their face or, you know, their whole body sometimes look completely not different, but like make it look a specific way. And when you lose all of that, I've got to imagine that that's, I mean, God, I was terrified of that. Like that was going to be something that really, really messed with me. Where um, where do you kind of stand with all of that? Yeah. (laughs) So, so now it's definitely much more sensitive. Initially, when I knew I was going to lose my hair and go through chemotherapy, it was, um, I don't want to say on the bottom, but it was just inevitable. I knew it was going to happen. Like I had to get this chemotherapy. Yes, I could do this cold capping, but like I wasn't a great candidate for it. You know, it, it, I didn't think it was going to suit my needs, you know, or serve me well. I thought it would cause me more heartbreak. So the only way I thought to, to do it was I cut it into a short bob the day after the day of my first chemo. And I actually shaved it the night of my first chemo, not all the way, but you know, I buzzed it little GI Jane style. (laughs) Um, and then after that, I, I want to say my hair fell out around day 14 of my first TCHP cycle, which those of you who don't know, that's Taxotere, Carboplatin, Herceptin, and Progetta. That was my first chemo regimen before I started Abraxane and then follow-on Katsyla after that. So anyway, <laughs> so the... I, I would say most people between day 12 and 17 is when it starts falling out. The rest of my buzz cut started falling out around day 14, but it fell out in kind of patches. So I was actually hopeful that I was going to keep a patch of my hair at one point. <laughs> um, I think I was just living de- in denial because I wanted so badly to be that, you know, one person who didn't lose their hair. But the reality was my hair was already cut off anyway. Um, it was just one of those really big 
growing moments for me because like I said, I got a lot of confidence from my hair. And I would say a few months into being bald once I started feeling a little bit better, um, I actually gained a lot of confidence being bald. Um, I got a lot of compliments. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. Like, did you find yourself settling in to the bald look, the bald feel? Yes. Yeah, I did. Eventually, my husband would literally like, you know, rub it every day, kiss it. He was like, Oh, my gosh, he was like, I can't I he was like, I would have never imagined you bald because I would have never imagined you in this situation. But even he tells me to this day, if I want to go back bald, he'll support me. So uh, I guess <laughs> I love that. Thank yeah, God. For um, support. Um, yeah, so I eventually I did get confident being bald. But then I would say those, you know, kind of negative thoughts and feelings crept back up as they did when my hair was initially falling out, when my hair was initially growing back, because I was so happy that I finally had hair. But I was also sad because I was losing this confidence I had when I was bald, because my hair didn't look like it did before it wasn't growing in how I wanted it to. Um, I'm you know, have been growing my hair out for over a year now, and I still can't even like put it in a half up little ponytail, you know, so that's super um, just hard for me because I've never had short pixie cut hair. I've had a bob before, but that was it. So yeah. Here's here's something that I find myself confused by. Um, So your hair falls out when you start doing chemo. um, But you've been growing your hair out for the last year, and you literally like just had your last chemo treatment. So like, at what point does the hair start growing back? You know, like, I've always had this idea in my head that as long as you're on chemo, you're not growing hair. So when does that start coming back? Kind of half true. So um, depending on who you ask, um, and I guess what you classify it as, um, typically when you're doing Herceptin and Pergetta and or Kinsila, which is considered immunotherapy. um, I know some people say Kinsila is like mini chemo. it, one of the side effects is not hair loss. So fortunately for women that do have a treatment plan that ends with that super intense chemo, mine was I did the TCHP. I only made it, I think, four rounds out of the six. And then I switched to a Braxane because um, I had really bad side effects and my tumor hadn't shrunk any more than it did from the first round of chemo. So we decided to try something else to see if it would shrink more before surgery. And then when I had my surgery, there was residual cancer. So that's what put me on additional mini chemo Kedzyla slash immunotherapy. Uh, It's like targeted chemo. So it doesn't kill the healthy cells you know, but it's also at the same time chemo, right? Like I still get nauseous, stuff like that. Um, But it's not near as intense as my initial, you know, chemo was at the beginning. Does that answer your question, Megan? Yeah, no, no, that absolutely (laughs) does. That absolutely does. Um, So you, were you or were you not on the, people call the red devil? No, no, I did not have that. I believe that is um, ACT, um, okay. and I'm not sure how to pronounce. Uh, We're googling things here. Adria, Adria Myasin. Oh, Adria Myasin. Yeah. That's what my mom yeah. was. 
That's yeah, yeah. yeah you said, yeah, your mom had the red devil, then Megan. It, yeah. Absolutely. I was, I was trying to look at the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, can you give us some insight to that, Megan? Then. So, you know, I was when my mom had breast cancer. She was diagnosed at thirty-seven. So I was in middle school, I want to say, and I remember. Um, I remember us picking out a wig for her. We named that wig because my mom's got big, beautiful red hair. Um, so for her, her hair was such a part of her that I remember she was devastated losing it. Absolutely devastated. Um, and I mean, being a middle schooler, I know that I didn't know all of the things and some of it has come to light more since I've been diagnosed. I'm like, oh, that I remember that name. You know, I remember hearing my mom talk about that. But it was it was really, really tough, um, you know, at least from like a kid's perspective. I'm sure it was even more difficult for her. She was the one going through it. But, you know, I helped her. Um, I remember right after she started chemo, she and I went out onto like the back porch and I was helping her brush her hair and trying to get out as much as we could. Um, and then I went with her to because neither of us wanted to be the one to shave it. Um, yeah. so I went with her to her hairstylist and they did, it was like a dual appointment. So they shaved her head and then put the wig on her and styled it. So it looked very, oh, wow. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom hated the wig. I mean, like, Aww. like how it looked like she loved how it looked right. on and everything, but it was so scratchy. Um, did you have a wig? Yeah. Uh, no, actually I, I didn't. Um, so it's funny what you just said about it being scratchy. So it's kind of, everybody takes their hair loss in a different, you know, kind of approach. I became very confident when I grew into my baldness, let's say. Um, so I'm lucky for that. But like I said, when my hair was growing back and when it was weird and patchy and falling out, I would, you know, put little scarves on my head. Um, and that's what I did. I, the heat underneath the wig and scratching it, um, I think that it would have given me normalcy when I would have went out and I wouldn't have had the feelings I experienced when I went out in public and people looked at me like, what are you doing? You sick, you know, woman. Right, exactly, exactly. For those that don't know, I have an actual obsession with Costco. It's a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, just the kind of weird looks. But then when I would come home, I know that my first instinct would be to get comfortable, which would be yes. to take it off. And at that point, I would almost feel like I'm living a facade to make other people around me, you know, comfortable. And that's not to say that anybody who wears a wig, there's anything wrong with that. Um, like I said, hindsight's always 2020, right? The way that people looked at me and the nerve of people to walk up to cancer patients and say what they say is like wild. Um, but oh my at God, the same time, because <laughs> um, I mean, I've got my own. I think we all have our own of people just meaning well, but being dumb, you know? Yeah. Um, I got called sir once. Um, that was hard. That was tears. That was, that ended in tears. That was hard. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, just waiting for my prescription and like, 
elderly people looking at me like like wanting a pass or something and i'm just looking at them like hmm Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be we're we're both in this situation here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, um, somebody asked me if I had adapted a new religion when I came what? in with the headscarf on. Stop it. Yeah. So I think it's, I get it. It's not something you expect when, especially when it's somebody my age. And I was, I didn't tell anybody, right? And then I like showed up to work one day and- <laughs> with my head shaved so I guess I get it to an extent right but I was just kind of like oh how is this gonna happen but yeah uh just something that you like I mean I know that everybody has different jobs and they work in different size companies and or for themselves or whatever but like do you have like an HR department like did you talk to HR first or I'm just wondering if that's something that anybody would do to like prep Um, or working while going through cancer or if that's something you just kind of yeah I think I kind yeah Yeah. I think I kind of did because I immediately told my bosses they knew because they were also my friends so they you know knew what was going on with me so I kind of kept them updated and like tried to be as proactive as possible because I did still want to work um but you know I didn't want to come off as a slacker you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) A slacker. Good Lord. You were working um, as well. But yeah, I mean, our brains automatically do that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to slack on this. I don't want, I don't want to let all the balls that I'm juggling drop, especially in front of other people. And, you know, again, going back to the whole hindsight is 2020, like let those balls drop. No, like no one's going to be like, oh, this one's a complete hero because like nothing, nothing faltered during cancer. Like, all of cancer is faltering you, know? mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't do it. But, um, or if you can, I mean, good on you, but I just don't see the reason to, um, you know, this is me going off on a tangent, but like, I don't see the reason to like make everybody around you comfortable or, you know, to not let that mask slip a little bit and be like, Hey, I'm going through some shit. So maybe could you pick up this extra project or could you maybe, do this thing for me and you know maybe right. if you are in a larger company um or a place that does have like an hr department um maybe reach out to them soon after your diagnosis and let them know like hey i intend on still working but what sort of um accommodations can you make for me during this um what does it look like to go part-time what does disability look like i would i would recommend that right out the gate i mean do you agree right yeah, no, no, no. I would absolutely get well informed on that. I was not because, like I said, I was just focused on working and not being a slacker. So disability was like the least of my concerns. I only took it for during my surgery, which I mean, I had to. It's not like I could drive myself to work. Like, <laughs> so yeah. um, that was the only time. And I've I've said before, hindsight's you know twenty twenty, and um, take take the time off that you need, and and don't try and pitch yourself there push yourself. There was times when I'd be in the chair getting chemotherapy and, you know, be on a work call at the same time. And sometimes you just need to be be, be present in the moment, right? Even yes. though you have other responsibilities. And that's not something that I learned gracefully. So, so learn <laughs> from what I'm saying now, please. Okay. Close the laptop, hang up the phone, right? Be there, be present with your spouse. Um, because there's never going to be a 
another time, hopefully, um, you know, or impactful moment that, you know, you're sitting there in that position because you are really sick and your body's telling you to slow down. So, yeah. So you mentioned having like that meeting with the nurse, um, where it was like chemo counseling, um, Mm -hmm. chemo teach, I think. (laughs) I don't know. What do like doctors, doctor's offices, um, hospitals, what, what do they do, I guess, to help support you better through this? Or in your experience, do they not do much and you wish they would have done more or done something? Um, I don't think anything related to the chemotherapy slash cancer process really is catered nor accessible to women of our age, Megan. And obviously that's what this whole podcast is about, right? But um, all of the pamphlets I received, they were older women. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about changing your diet and exercising. <laughs> I don't feel I fit into that category. I'm not being, you know, rude here. I just, I, I, I think that you know, a closer look needs to be taken with women who are, who are our age. Um, and maybe just even if there's one clinic, right, who is very knowledgeable in it, send out, you know, pamphlets everywhere or say, hey, I may not have the information that is for you or best, you know, catered towards you, but I know who does. Yeah. Um, because that's just, not something that was presented to me. And I'm sorry, but there is a difference between somebody having breast cancer in their mid twenties versus somebody in their mid sixties or seventies. Yeah. Um, what were you most surprised by with chemo? Um, if uh, with, um, well, honestly, I, Ooh, I don't know. I, (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Yeah, yeah. It's hard because, like, I think I'm pessimistic about this situation. I did over a year of chemotherapy, and my tumor still had to be cut out of me, and then I still had to do follow-on chemotherapy because the initial chemotherapy didn't work, you know? So it's hard. I wish that there was more access to newer drugs and, you know, experimental drugs and trials, like I said, because I definitely think that there is a pattern of some sort of why suddenly women under 40 are getting breast cancer because it wasn't always like this, but it seems to be very sudden. And Mm -hmm. I believe we talked about in a few episodes ago, literally um, genetic hereditary cancers are like five to 10%, you know, so there, there's something going around right now. And and it's literally affecting, you know, the mothers and future mothers of, of our generation, right? Like that's, that's wild to me, you know? So, well, I was actually thinking about this the other day for another tangent. (laughs) This is, this is not my medical, um, experience because I have none. But I was I was putting two and two together and I'm like, why has this been popping up? Just the same, you know, same as you and I have been talking about a ton. And I'm curious if maybe it has to do with birth control. You know, birth control is only like two or three generations in at this point. And if you are estrogen and progesterone positive and you're more susceptible 
to that. I mean, maybe with birth control being primarily, you know, if you're using the pills or the patches or the ring or something like that, not IUDs. I don't think IUDs have um, um, estrogen and progesterone in them. But if you're using those other ones, I wonder if like pumping yourself full of estrogen over the years maybe has something to do with that. You know, I mean, I got on birth control at like 15 and not because I was having sex at 15, but I was like, I would never get my period on time. So I just got these, um, um, like smaller cysts all over my ovaries when, you know, things weren't getting flushed out each month. So people have been on birth control for a really long time. And maybe if they don't have that hereditary aspect to it, but they are pumping their bodies full of estrogen that may have something to do with it. Um, I know that my OBGYN years ago, so this would have been like 10 years ago at that point, um, she recommended that I get off of birth control because of that very issue. She said, I, I know that you have a family history with this. I don't want you to keep wow. taking birth control like this. So that's when I got um, an IUD because it didn't have either of those. Now, I mean, <laughs> it, it didn't fix it, but I was still on birth control for like, you know, I mean, I still got breast cancer, but I was still on birth control for like 15 years or something like that. So for right. whatever it's worth, or if somebody out there is a doctor or something, maybe let us know if those two have a correlation. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think treating the symptoms of cancer is very easy. I think, um, you have these tumors, you have this in your body, you get these drugs and we'll see how it goes. Um, I think the hard part about that is quite literally every single cancer patient is different because we don't know how it comes about really. Obviously there are, again, genetic cases, hereditary cases, and also, you know, environmental factors and, you know, situations where you put yourself in smoking, um, yeah. drinking, whatever the case may be, but we're not talking about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I just think that we need to really, you know, kind of dive deep into maybe what's causing that and, um, you know, how to better support women our age, because again, it's, just as you've you've said in previous episodes, Megan, um, when you went to support groups, which you did, they were all older women. You know, these are not only younger women; these are now women who have lost babies, who cannot have children, who have to go to work every day, who don't have social security. And maybe that sounds harsh because you're thinking about your grandmother who has breast cancer. And I'm sorry if that does sound harsh. It's not intended to. Um, we are trying to bring light and awareness, you know, to the women who are similar in our position that once again are faced with radical decisions if they want to have a child are faced with a scare of reoccurrence literally every single day every time they have a chest pain or bend over or have a movement um mm -hmm. so i don't think the situation is comparable and you know there was no women your age in those groups megan so no women are going to be talking about going to work no women are going to be talking about I mean, losing a child because no, they already they have about their grandkids and you know how they're not able to pick up their grandkids after their mastectomy and again all of that sucks like you just said this like i'm not neither of us are minimizing what happens to any woman of any age going through breast cancer or anybody going through cancer in general 
but there is just something else. There are a lot of extra layers when you are younger. Um, and you've also got to live with that fear of recurrence for a hell of a lot longer. Um, so kind of, that kind of leads into like the next, like my next little area. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to go back. I want to talk more about like, <laughs> cause I still have questions. I want to talk more about, um, like the symptom, not symptoms, the side effects of yeah. chemo. So, you know, you talked about like, you know, you can get a rash, you can get, um, acne from that. Um, obviously there's always like the hair falling out and the throwing up and the diarrhea. Um, but when do those really start kicking in? I think I heard you mention maybe a few weeks ago that it doesn't happen in the chair. It happens later on. Is that right? Right. Um, that's kind of like my joke. Um, so my first chemo experience, um, it'll be different every time you go, cause you'll get a different nurse, a different infusion nurse. Um, my first time she was great. She was like, Oh my goodness, it's your first chemo. She was very bubbly, right? She was, she was an amazing nurse. Um, I won't say her name on here, but <laughs> she knows who she is. She was awesome. <laughs> um, and she made me feel very comfortable and she was like, Oh my goodness, you know, like you're, you know, younger than my children, blah, 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 blah. Right. And you get yeah. that response from almost yeah. <laughs> a lot of people in healthcare, um, especially when you're young and going through cancer. Um, but side effects wise, um, you, when I did my really intense chemo, I would get like four or five pre-meds before I would get the actual IV chemo. So I would be at the infusion center for minimum eight hours, sometimes nine, because, you know, I have Benadryl, um, Zofran, all of those pre-nausea drugs going into my system before I'm getting the chemo. So like I would feel a little bad on the way there once I had a few rounds because I was anticipating what I was going to feel and just motion sickness had really gotten to me because um, I was I was pretty sick. But you don't like I said, you get Zofran, Benadryl, a bunch of pre-meds. So that way, when you get your chemo, you don't really feel bad till maybe the next day or the day after. But then it kind of all hits you like a dump truck. Yeah. Um, and you're just like, whoa, like the easiest way I can put it is I felt like a achy skeleton walking around. <laughs> yeah, that had, um, you know, constant diarrhea and vomiting. I'm fortunate that my weight fluctuated and now I'm like back to normal and I didn't have any like severe, severe weight loss or weight gain. Uh, but I know that's a big side effect for a lot of women as well. Um, I did have like pretty intense bone pain um, from the Lupron shot. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like crazy. And you know what they tell you? They tell you to take fucking Claritin. <laughs> to help with the bone pain? Yes. It's like a Does it work? weird... Yeah, I mean, somewhat like it did, but not to the extent like I was like, it feels like somebody's driving a, a shovel through my back. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I did get prescribed other stuff. But I mean, yeah, initially that and that's what they tell you in the chemo. They're like, yeah, take Claritin before to prevent it. Blah, 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 blah. It's it's pretty wild. Um, 
What drugs and, did they like send you home with? And like, what ones were oh, really helpful? Like, did, was Zofran helpful? Because that was really helpful for me after surgeries. But um, I think to an extent, but I think I got to the point where I was just so deep in it all that all of the kind of side effect symptom drugs stopped working. So like, I was just nauseous, you know what I mean? Like, I would just find myself in certain scenarios and be very nauseous or be sick and the drugs wouldn't really help me. Um, but I did get a few steroids, um, dexamethasone, mm-hmm. um, so for, I, I don't know, Megan, I had like 15, I had I used to joke about a pharmacy. I used to joke that I like had the pharmacy, you know, and I'm not somebody who liked taking like pills, which is what I told my oncologist and they didn't you know, work up until a point anyway. So then I just stopped taking them. Um, not that that is not medical advice, you know, take, <laughs> take your medicine as prescribed, everybody. Um, do not do what I do. Um, but, you know, also like the steroids would keep me up at night. Um, you know, I would have really bad hot flashes. Um, yep. I think Welcome that was more due life. to the loop, run, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy because like I said, I felt like a skeleton. My body was like shutting down, but obviously I kept waking up. You know, there were literally times where I thought my heart was going to stop um, oh, God. just because I was, you know, super dehydrated. Right. Or, um, you know, the, the diarrhea had taken over so much that I was, you know, unable to retain fluids in my body. And just so, locked in the bathroom. Yeah, literally. Oh, yeah, for hours and hours and hours. And then like, I would feel guilty because like, I'm like calling out of work, you know, now for two or three days. Um, You know, obviously, they were very lenient. But still, you know, it's, it's just my own personal guilt that came along yeah. with that, that I wasn't anticipating. I was like, my oncologist looked at me like, I was gonna be fine. Okay, she said, she basically said there's a 50% chance you'll be really okay and not feel too much or there's a chance you'll not. And I kept like trying to think that it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad until I eventually learned to really lean into what I was feeling and when I was feeling bad, which was more often than not, which is, it was just something that was very hard for me because I was very mentally and physically strong person. So me being debilitatingly sick and saying, hey, I can't do this was a really hard thing. Um, and I don't think anybody kind of prepares you for that or how you're going to feel for that. But I guess if you're somebody who gets taken care of a lot, you know, or is not used to being in that role, then then it wouldn't be that big of a deal for you. But for me, it was really hard because a lot of my self-worth and value was put into the work I produced or, you know, into the things I did that I was no longer able to do. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's tough. Um, how did, well, let me go back again too. So what, what things did help? If anything, like I know that some people, um, like my mom, she found out that like these anise candies, um, if you want to Google them, it's A-I-N-S-E or no, A-N-I-S-E. There we go. (laughs) I'm not winning any any spelling bees. Um, But yeah, anise, I think it's like a licorice flavor, hard candy. She said that that helped. They taste gross, but she said it helped a lot with the nausea. I remember that. 
I've heard other people talking about, I think like dandelion tea or something like that. But what did you find that did kind of help? I mean, not fix it, obviously, because it's just shit all around. But what sort of helped? Yeah, I got this little aromatherapy, chemotherapy relief thing. um, And it had like mint and a bunch of other flavors in it. And so when I was feeling nauseous, I would, you know, sniff it like a smelling salt kind of. Um, And that helped because like I said, I, all the drugs had just gotten to the point where they didn't. So I was like, okay, I need something very natural because, you know, I had just gotten to the point where vomiting and I would be mostly fine, right? I would be 60% okay, normal, let's say, but I would be maybe 65, 70% nauseous, if that makes sense. So my whole body would feel okay, but like, I know I'm going to vomit at some point in the next, you know, six hours. Like I just feel it coming, you know. Um, oh, I hate that feeling. Like when you start to <laughs> your mouth is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like I would do my little, you know, sniffing salt or whatever. And like, I would almost gauge like when I was going to throw up and then that would kind of backwards plan the rest of my day. And I kind of knew, okay, if I throw up in the morning, like I'll be good for the rest of the day, you know, Um, and then I'll go home and eat dinner. So it's really honestly about listening to your body and what works for you, I think, because like I said, I've heard women, you know, praise up and down so Fran, but I mean, after like taking two months of that, it, I was like, what is this doing? Nothing. Well, at a certain <laughs> point, Zofran's effectiveness, I'm sure, fails. Right, um, right. No, no, no. Yeah. For anybody listening to this, if you have any ideas or things that you did during chemo that might be helpful, um, follow us on our Facebook page. And it's just tits up on Facebook. Be careful. It will give you some kind of smutty material first if you're just doing a basic google search but um look us up and um give us some ideas i think that that would be really helpful for everybody um kind of going through this maybe just to get new ideas you know i mean i never ever would have thought of this anise candy that my mom used but that has turned out to be really effective for friends of mine like going through ivf therapy um friends of mine that are pregnant and they can't really take much of anything. And I've heard from chemo patients. Um, so, you know, any other things, I think that that might be really useful. Can you think of anything else? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah no. If the one thing I will echo is um, as pessimistic as I seem about my treatment, I'm really just um, bitter that the chemo did not give me a pathological complete response. Um, that's just my little way of dealing with it. I don't, <laughs> so think so that take sounds, to heart. I don't First of all, I don't think you sound bitter about anything. <laughs> I mean, but we are all there. I mean, I've been out of the shit, so to speak, for like the past year. And while there are things that, you know, are funny, just like any terrible thing that happens in this world, you can always somehow find some sort of humor in it to keep you going. But this whole thing is just shit. It's just shit on top of shit on top of shit. And I feel like if you aren't pessimistic about it, (laughs) you're almost not, I mean, you may either be just the strongest person in the world and nothing can get you down. And if that is you, God love you. I am not that person. I am still a very bitter bitch about all of this stuff and the things that continue on for year after year after year. And I am 
quite sure that I would have been throwing around far more curse words and being far more pissed off than you are sounding right now. So well done, (laughs) ma'am. Thank you, Megan. Um, But to everyone who is going to experience chemotherapy um, somewhere down the line, the most important thing I will say is, you know, communicate as as pessimistic as I sound about my journey, my team was there to answer questions I had. And what I will say is it helps when they're directed, right? When you say, oh, I'm nauseous, that's pretty general. And they know that you're going to be nauseous. Are you nauseous when you do something specific? How How keep a log of how often that is after treatment is it eight hours after right can you eat a meal um for a while i just wouldn't eat you know 48 hours after my chemo because that's what felt best to my body because i knew that i would yak it up so just communicate with you know your nurse and providers around you about what you're feeling and also make sure you really kind of look deep into what's going on. What I found is chemotherapy more often than not can be cumulative, even though in my head I was thinking, well, one round down, this one's going to be easier. I know what to expect. It's not really the case. Um, so, <laughs> you know, just keep that in mind and give yourself some grace when you're going through that and communicate with those around you. There were times where I had to tell my husband, I just don't feel good. You need to leave me alone and let me be a sick little cancer patient. Um, And that's okay. In my room being all crabby about things. And, you know, let me, let me just be depressed for a while. Like give yourself that space to do it. I mean, you and I were talking the other day about like compartmentalization and you know you had to go to work you had to do you know all of all of the things in living real life you know same with me and you know when you allow yourself that time to grieve and to be angry or to be um just feeling all of your big feelings (laughs) the big ones um you know Mm -hmm. let yourself do that if you don't it just just like the chemo it's cumulative you know it just builds and builds and builds and i think that you just need to find an outlet whatever that is um you know whether that's your spouse or i very often felt like i was telling my spouse everything all the time all at once you know so i'm like maybe i should call a friend and talk to a friend about this or a therapist or somebody you know and um because sometimes, you know, I, I don't think that any of my friends or my husband would ever say that, you know, I burdened them with how I was feeling and my negative emotions and anything, but I always felt like maybe I was. So I kind of spread around the grief, spread <laughs> spreading around the joy, I was spreading around the grief. a little sprinkle, a little grief sprinkle. All, all the people in my life got little sprinkles of my anxiety and anger and everything else and my depression, um, because I went into a gnarly depression during this whole thing. Um, What about you? Did you, like, what was your, I guess, um, emotional state through the whole thing? (sighs) I definitely angry, definitely angry. I was, you know, angry initially that I had to do chemo. And then I was angry when the chemo didn't work. So, you know, like you, I think it was a theme. Um, But I do think that I always said that it could be worse and you know would be worse if I allowed myself to feel that way and I knew that it would eventually come to the end I'm kind of that person that goes very internal when they're in a place of discomfort or you know a a 
time in my life where I'm not really <laughs> feeling what I'm doing, but it's a necessity to get where I need to go. So that's just kind of how I looked at it, right? And then if the cancer ever came back in the future, I would kind of deal with it on my terms, maybe away from the traditional kind of treatment care side of it, because I'm rather pessimistic about it. But you know, it obviously does work for some people. Um, not to say it didn't work with me, just not to the extent I would have expected and for the pain that had to come along yeah. with that, you know. So you mentioned a little bit ago, like when you were talking about communication with your care team, writing things down. I am not a journaler. I'm not somebody that just like writes, but this kind of got me into that. The whole cancer bullshit got me into writing. And I think that you know, I did find that it was helpful to keep track of, you know, on this day, I felt this way on this day, I felt this way. So that not only is it easier to explain to your team, how things are feeling so that they can better help you. But also, I do think that it's helpful, even in very small increments of time to say, okay, last week, I felt this way. But this week, I'm feeling a lot better. You know, otherwise, before I was doing that, everything just mushed together in one big, you know, like this is just a month worth of shit, you know? And if you can see those tiny, small increments over time of like, hey, this is treating me better than it was a week ago, or my scars are looking better. I would keep, you know, pictures of my scars each month to see how they were getting better. Um, did you find the same thing, like keeping incremental tabs on how you were feeling? Did that help? Did you do it? Did you not? Yeah. Um, to an extent, Megan. Um, but for me, it was just kind of like, uh, I, I took that to the extreme in a sense. And I would like plan my day kind of like hour by hour, <laughs> like minute by minute. Um, for some reason, when I got cancer, I think it, um, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I think it was, I felt like everything was out of control. And the one thing I could control was my time, right? And how I spend it. Um, yep. So I think that that was just very unhealthy and not not good. And I still do that to an extent. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would call that unhealthy. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Like when everything has gone crazy, when everything is chaos and you have no yeah. control over the situation, you find the things that you can control and it starts to give you a sense of security. And, you know, I will focus on these things that I can fix and things that I can control and let the rest of it just go to the doctors. And they're just going to tell me what to do for that stuff. I think that that's, I don't know if it's unhealthy or if it is healthy, but I do think it's normal. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, Megan, who knows what is unhealthy and healthy these days that will uh, change depending on who's listening and then, you know, who is speaking. <laughs> so honestly, yeah, I do whatever the fuck you want and whatever you can live with is what I always say. Um, you know, surround yourself with people who are going to support you. As I always say, I think we're kind of coming to the close of today's episode, but I really appreciate all of you for letting me air out my <laughs> kind of baggage. And Megan, thank you for listening to me as always. Of course, um, this, is where, this is where we show the ugly parts of ourselves, the ones that we don't want the rest of the world to see sometimes. Safe space. 
Right. Yep. Nope. Exactly. Um, and thank you, Megan, for creating this space for us and all of you. Um, don't forget to always advocate for yourself and what you're experiencing. And always, as always, don't forget. Tits up, ladies. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.